You're listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value-based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with practitioners, experts, and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. In this episode, we hear the second in a series of conversations between Dr. Ehab Sharawi, Dr. David Cook, and Dr. Yates Lennon, where they discuss modern primary care and how greater access to care generates savings and makes for a healthier, happier patient. Welcome to the Mood to Value podcast. Uh, Dr. Ehab Sharawi, Dr. David Cook, welcome. Glad to have you this afternoon. Thank you. Yes, Glad thank to you. Glad to be here. So we're back for our second session together, and uh, where I would like to begin is with modern primary care. I've heard you uh, both talk about this now for quite some time, but I never cease to learn something new when I hear you describe it and your vision for modern primary care, what you're trying to build at One Health. And so I don't know which of you guys wanted to take it and run with it first, Dr. Cook. So we'll start with you and uh, tell us what you mean by modern primary care. All right. Modern primary care. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Lennon, we've talked about this. It's almost like taking a step back in time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that we saw with healthcare over the past 12 to 20 years is, again, the erosion of that primary care um, individual relationship, that, par- that partnership with the patient. It became uh, less than what it should be as a sacred connection and advocate for care, it, partly because of how health systems, um, uh, PE, VC, retail, primary care is perceived, uh, partly because of what we did to ourselves as primary care physicians, and partly because of the environment around us, it began to, to erode away. And there were so many things that were being done, and I use this often, and I'm going to do it now because it's a great place to use this analogy. It's like the Titanic. We move the deck chairs around a lot in healthcare, but the Titanic's still going down. Healthcare costs are going up, quality's going down, longevity's going down. So when you look at some of the data across the United States, including the Dartmouth Atlas data, wherever there's a lot of primary care involved in care of the community and the individuals, quality goes up, cost goes down. But there's never a lot of money that follows that. Right? right? There's never been big money in primary care until recently. And it's, I always say it's sort of a, a fault-centered way to, to, to get payment from primary care now. So Dr. Shirawi and I began to look with others that, that are now part of One Health Leadership and said, what have we been doing for 30 years that, that really is different besides the for-all mission, besides the knowing the color of the individual's eyes, besides some of the basic things that we thought and basic tenets of care that we thought were, were the right things to do? Well, it was that care evolved out of the primary care uh, patient relationship. And we kept that sacred. We made it really sacred. And we almost built this hub and spoke mechanism. I always say that where you have the provider of primary care, whether it be OBGYN, internal medicine, pediatrics, or family medicine, and the patient encircled by a team of people that, that compress that relationship together. And from that relationship, you had ancillary services evolve out of that. You had home health, you had hospice and palliative care and specialty care and hospital care, but it all evolved out of that relationship. Um, And so it it created this connectivity for the patient to someone who was always there for them, not only in the moment for care, 
but long-term care. And the things that I, I, I saw escaping primary care were minute clinic work. Well, shame on us as primary care physicians. We couldn't be minute clinics for our patients. Um, urgent care work. Well, I've always sewn my patients up or, or done things to mitigate their acute crisis. Why could we not do that? Mental health. We gave that away. We weren't able to do that. Some musculoskeletal work, integrated specialty care work. So as we began to develop One Health over the past, really it began over the past 12 to 20 years, we, we looked at what it would look like to rebuild the ship differently from the ground up. Yet, as you've said, it looks like the past, okay? Physicians that really, primary care physicians that, that own the patient's healthcare journey and are, are, are there for them. And, and if you take modern primary care and you say, our goal at modern primary care is to, to do three things, increase somebody's life, longevity, improve their human experience through increased quality, safety, efficacy, consumer-driven care, and ease of care, um, and reduce cost of care, then every time I go into a patient's room, those things are top of mind. And that begins the essence or the basis of modern primary care. Then everything has to build from that. Digital tools have to build from that. Uh, ancillary services come from that. Um, all based on those three things that, that are aggregated, aligned, and advocated for by the primary care physician. Sounds so basic, doesn't it? Right. It's almost like what we all think we should be getting, but it's very rare. I always talk now, they're, they're, we've looked at some of the PEVC model. I'm not going to speed up on those models. And some health system models where you'd go in and it was a wound care doc doing primary care, um, waiting for that nine to five shift to end. Never talking about the things we're talking about here. And, and not that that's not maybe a good place to get care, but it's not where I would want my family to get there primary care. So we've coined this modern primary care um, because the medical home and advanced primary care, they're, they're so, sort of overdone. And we don't want this to be overdone either. So we're really intentional about what does modern primary care mean? Well, it means this advocate, this alignment of care, this connectivity of care to do three things, longevity, improve human experience and reduction in cost. And we're building a whole system around that, that, that Dr. Shirawi can explain that supports that, that mission. Yeah. Again, uh, I've learned a lot from this guy over the years. Okay. And you know, this, this is, this is one of them. I'm still catching up. And so. it, uh, <laughs> but when we think about my, and again, it is kind of an oxymoron to call it mo modern primary care. It really is, you know, You're, you guys are just not bartering for chickens and eggs. Yeah, and no, that's right. That's I right. Am. But that's we still right. do that. Yeah, that's right. We would. Yeah. To do that. I, I think the essence that starts with our ability to do everything that, they, that Dr. Cook just described is to be accessible to the patients that we take care of. And to me, a modern, you know, labeling it something different put, puts a shining light on what are the gaps that exist now. If we're not creating environments where we can first give access to everybody, equal access to everybody in the community, and then once they're in, it's not, again, you've heard us say this before, it's not just this episode, let me take care of what's in front of me and get them out. It's wrapping them around their healthcare journey and guiding them and navigating them. I mean, I think about modern primary care in another way as being everything for the patient. So even navigating through a journey. So say it's an unfortunate diagnosis of cancer. You know, e even today, so, so everybody knows this, but I'll say it again, you know, in the United States, we're the best in the world at the highest tech stuff. Anywhere, in the, nobody meets us as far as doing that. But my gosh, we're probably one of the worst 
you know, when it comes to ability for people to access basic care, okay, that, that, and basic health, you know, for that. So you take somebody that has a cancer diagnosis and take them in, in, through a modern primary care lens, you're going to navigate them through that journey, whether it's whatever insulin services they need, specialists that they need to interact with, uh, mental health that often comes with that. You're going to guide that care. Where now, unfortunately, that we all know too well, it's a fragmented story. Right. And sometimes in fragmentation means it's just not going to happen. So, so, so to me, you know, I just want to emphasize again, it all starts with access. If you can't get in, there's nothing you can do about anything to anybody. So, so really, um, I think that's a critical differentiating step. Yeah, and I was going to come to the access question and tell us a little bit about your standards for access. What do you mean by that? And how, how can your patients access One Health? When? How? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start with that. And I think there, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to, to tackle that, uh, that question. Um, but but I'll, I'll start maybe from kind of the economics of, 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 of how practices are run. So you can define success as a physician or a provider by saying, you know what, I've built a panel. So I've got a panel of people I take care of. And then you can actually stop it right, right at that point. So what happens is, and, and this is a really important thing as we talk about this, if you're one of the lucky ones to be in that panel and you're lucky enough to get in to see your provider, you're going to get wonderful care. There are wonderful physicians and providers. My gosh, you know, we see them all too. I, I have to access healthcare a lot. But by that system, when you reach that rate-limiting step, two things happen. Number one is you, you're not going to see anybody new because you're closed by definition. The second thing that happens is the people that you have in that panel are going to continue to struggle to get in for unplanned events right. that occur like that. So just the economics of understanding that, what we do at One Health is to say, and we've done it from the beginning, okay, from before we were called One, we've always been the same people, but now One Health is to say that the number one thing is, and, and I'm going to coin a Dr. Cook term, same moment access. Okay, so and, and same moment access can look differently, but it's actually identifying and addressing the patient's needs the moment that they interact. So that requires us to be really good at having communication with our patients, right. and we do that in multiple levels. We do that with human connection. We do that through the technology, leveraging that technology, those things, and then be available to see them when they want in want and or need to be seen, okay? Because I think that's a very critical thing. Sometimes them wanting to be seen also means they need to be seen right. because there's more to it than just, just yeah. So, so really creating that access model. So what do you have to do to do that? And you have to grow, okay? It's, not as, it's pretty simple to figure that out, right? So we continue to grow in multiple ways so that that mission of being there for all openly accessible is not diminished, okay? And so you'll hear us a lot, our themes are, is that we have to grow, grow, grow. And we grow with the right culture, right? And, and, and the good news about it is most people out there, David said it earlier, Dr. Cook said it earlier about, seems really simple, doesn't it? Most people that go into healthcare, they want to come out and they will flourish in that kind of environment, right? But you have to have the environment created for them right. to be able to flourish to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think... A lot of physicians don't see growth as a success factor, yeah. right? Yeah. I have my patients. I take care of my patients. The growth mindset is it's not poured into us in our training. It's That's not right. part of what we were taught to do. And, you know, when, you, when we talk about 
Um, I know we're going to get to value later, but when we talk about providing something for the patient that is better than what they have. So modern primary care is when your patient, let's say an 80-year-old um, patient that you've taken care for a long time, eats that Bojangles biscuits <laughs> Sunday afternoon, right? right? She has CHF. And by Sunday night, her pulse ox went from 98 to 92. She's got edema, gained two pounds, and is struggling to breathe. Well, if she doesn't have someone at that moment in time that she can call, she's going to panic all night long. So we're typically open for primary care seven days a week, okay? We're trying to make that a 24-7 opportunity, not all in the same place, but in pod-type structure. The next thing is if, if Ms. Smith the next day can't walk into her doctor's office, and, and it's so unique to me, as Dr. Shirawi had described it, how many systems are set up to almost prevent a walk-in. I mean, I even see it on doors, no walk-ins. Right. I mean, this is healthcare. You know, when did you, you, you predict that you were going to get sick? So if she could walk into an office that next day, she's 80, she's sick, her pulse ox now is 88. And if she could get in to see her modern primary care physician or primary care specialist through diuresis, rule out of an abnormal EKG or new EKG finding, um, some simple blood testing, follow up day by day, you can turn what would otherwise be an admission, readmission, and a $40,000 problem for the patient, plus a lot of the risk factors, into a couple hundred dollar issue, and the patient stays at home. Right. That's modern primary care, um, and that's same moment access. Yeah, I love the access. You, you all told me about that months ago, and it's like, that's it. That's where you got to start because you yeah. can't deliver value-based care if you don't have access to the system. You just can't do it. Um, one of the things you just mentioned, I think, Dr. Cook, you, you said primary care specialist. That For a lot of our audience, that might sound a little bit confusing. What do you mean by a primary care specialist? So uh, I'm a um, non-apologetic primary care specialist called a family physician. You know, I love family medicine. I would say that that it is, uh, I'm the luckiest guy in the world to have become a family physician um, for multiple, multiple reasons. But what we've done both as family physicians, internists, uh, OBGYNs and, and, and pediatricians is often have become that sort of second class citizen for many reasons within the healthcare community, mainly money, where, where money flows, things change and operate, right? But it takes a real specialist in primary care to understand how to do the right things to advocate for the individual. Um, and, and I believe we're going to start using this term, we do, as modern primary care and modern primary care specialist, to, to really invoke something different. There's so many places where I see that <laughs> they plug in different folks, whether it's, um, again, as I used the example before, we, we, we met at once, a wound care doc who just wanted to do something different, so became a primary care doctor within a VC program. And not that they're not a great physician, they may be an excellent physician, but they don't have a robust 10 to 15 years of training. And I always say that to be a really, really good primary care physician, you've needed to do this for five years at least, right. okay? And, and what better way after I've done it for five, 10, now 30 years to train other primary care specialists to do this as well. So we want to create a specialty program for primary care doctors that can make them the best advocate for the patient. Understand 
prevention, lifestyle medicine, concierge medicine, corporate medicine, disease resolution, some of the most cutting edge things with the medicines now and the technology now, it really is in the hands of the primary care doctor to do the things that Dr. Shirai was saying, to have someone live longer, higher quality of life and reduce costs. So we're going to continue to use this term primary care specialist. And I think Dr. Shirai said it well, once you make a denotion of something different, then you're held to a different standard. And, you know, I, I wanted the American Academy of Family Physicians and, and definitely the North Carolina Academy. I mean, what a great thing to do. But I've not found, found them doing that as strongly as we want to do it through this. And, and again, I believe that internal medicine, pediatrics, family medicine, and OB are primary care specialists and can be that for the individual. Yeah, I'm very concerned. You said in our last episode, Dr. Shirawi, that we weren't old, but we're not all that young either. And I'm getting more and more concerned that as we get older and as my, my mother is elderly, there's a shortage of primary care um, of any kind. And how do we attract more med students into primary care? Yeah. So you have to drive the message all the way back down, I think, to the college level, the medical school level, the residency level. We're doing that at One Health. We, you know, I'm proud to say, and it's others in our, in our, in our team that are, that are doing the, the, the strong work, that we have a lot of folks that come to us, not only training, but also working. Okay, that's another thing we can talk about later, that are actually college-age kids, freshmen in college that come out. Uh, people that are gap years, somebody that wants to go to medical school but maybe took a year off or is still trying to get in, PA students, people that want to be PA students. The list is long. We have to drive that message. Our goal is to, number one, help enhance their ability to make the right decision what they want to do, but also show them and take away the notion of, I wouldn't recommend my, my son to, be, uh, to go into medicine. Get rid of that. So, so, so we have to be able to take that message in multiple ways and multiple levels, this podcast will help, you know, I, I think to, I to, so. to, to, to do those things. I'll add one more thing on the primary care specialist for a moment is that here are factual statements. The facts today are that in certain specialties, even if you want one of your patients that you're taking care of to see a specialist for a problem, here's the fact they can't get in. Okay. There is a, a, a need for more primary care, but there's also an inability to get into multiple specialties. That's just the, the world we live in. So what happens is the care gets diminished. But there's so many things that the primary care specialist can do by changing the way that we traditionally interact with the specialists, what kind of care we deliver, it, it, more in a collaborative model as opposed to a transactional model, where the transactional model, again, has a rate-limiting step to it. There's, hey, I'm going to take care of these folks, and I'm busy enough, and I don't have that, that growth thought in my mind. So so that's another piece of primary care specials is to really drive decision-making at the level of the interaction between doctor and patient to provide the best care possible. And we all know that in the care that we deliver is that sometimes it just takes a good conversation with a specialist to, number one, validate what you probably already knew is probably the right thing to do or be educated in here are the next steps or at least get them on the path to where when they do engage with a the specialist, they're two or three steps down the, the line. Top of mind for us. And that's, I think, a big part of primary care specialists. Yeah. Right. Hey, two comments. 
One, Dr. Shroud was only looking at you, Dr. Lennon, when he said you're not old. He knows I'm old. <laughs> he reminds us on a day. He night. knows I'm old. <laughs> I just keep okay. my wrinkles filled out. That's but, all. Well, he knows I'm old. That's what I'm saying. And um, second comment, you know, how do you get people to go into primary care? You enjoy primary care. You have fun doing primary care. You bring people into your office and they see happy primary care physicians, primary care nurse practitioners, primary care PAs. Man, we love to make work fun. Work has to be fun. And to do that, it's not about being resilient. It's about having fun and about really creating an environment. When you put that person, that individual first, and it's more about the mission and the vision, it can really be fun. And, and we bring people into our office, and they often say, man, I've never seen anyone as happy as you guys are. That's everybody, staff, um, you know, front office, back office, and the, and, and the provider. So you got to make it fun. You got to make them enjoy what they do, and, and you got to make them want to tell their kids to be doctors as well. Yeah. So I have one more question for you. As I've been listening to you talk about modern primary care, I've been around long enough to know or to, or to have experienced the 90s when the HMOs first came out and, and primary care, in, at least from my recollection, seemed to turn into almost a gatekeeper type program, if you will, which I think diminished the value and probably diminished some of the satisfaction of primary care at the time. But um, it seems the opposite to me of what you've just described for us in terms of my modern primary care. Can can either of you just speak to that for a minute before we wrap up? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. I was around in the 90s, and I, <laughs> I am one who did not like the term gatekeeper, still don't like gatekeeper. Um, we're advocates of care, right. okay? And so back in the 90s, it was all about cost reduction. They began to interweave quality, safety, human experience into that, but it was about cost reduction. Right. How can you be the gatekeeper to prevent somebody from going somewhere they don't need to go or shouldn't right. go? That just created a, a, a true debacle, I think, in, in American healthcare, um, and, and a devaluing of primary, primary care. And, and, it, and it disrupted the patient experience. Exactly. As well. And it made a schism between um, the, the specialist and the primary care doctor. I think now, as an advocate of care, and, and, and that healthcare is not a zero sum game, and one of our pillars is integration, is how do we become the advocate for the individual? So if every time the individual comes to me, I can look him in the eye and say, my whole goal is three things. Longevity, improve your length of life, improve your human experience through quality, safety, efficacy, consumer-driven healthcare, and reduce your cost of care. I can't do it alone. We're going to do it with a team. But that means the team is going to be integrated through me. So that integrated care with specialists, ancillary care, hospitalization, and other things, to me, is what a modern primary care specialist is for the the patient. Absolutely. The the whole term gatekeeper creates enmity between the patient and the physician. It automatically implies you stand between me and the care I need. I've got to convince you that I need to go somewhere else. And that just destroys. Never works. No. Destroys the relationship. Yeah. And, I, and I'll just add one quick thing. I'll, do, I'll, I'll use an OB-GYN example. You know, because I, I was kind of there in the 90s. No. I was there in the 90s. <laughs> I was a young buck in the 90s. Yeah. But but when you think about HMOs and you think about capitated cost, so take C-section rates, for instance, was a good example. So there was a time in the late, mid to late 90s where, I mean, hospitals would measure you uh, on, the, on what was your C-section rate. And so I remember a group in Jacksonville, uh, you know, would brag about a 4% 
primary C-section rate. Um, that won't mean much to some of the listeners, but that's really low. Okay? Very low. Well, what happened is by driving that singularly focused on the cost, litigation went up significantly and outcomes were not improved. They were actually worse. So, you, so when you capitate it just on the cost side like that, you, you tend to dilute what's the most important thing. And the most important thing is to take care of the patient the best way, not the cheapest way. Okay, the best way. Um, and if you do it through a modern primary care approach, you'll also do it in the most cost-effective way, right. you know, as well. Right. Well, gentlemen, thank you again. It was great being with you this afternoon. I appreciate your time and look forward to connecting with you later. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions, where our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. As always, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the resources in the show notes. If you are interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across social media and leave a rating and review. See you next time.